Welcome to the Southland Podcast, a resource produced by Southland Christian Ministries located in Ringgold, Louisiana. We trust that this podcast will encourage and equip you in your walk with God. chapter 3 Colossians chapter 3 we just uh, we just prayed a moment ago so we'll just get right into the word because I've already burned some of my own time I want to preach on this subject this morning and talk to us about all things new all things new the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21 verse 5 and he that sat upon the throne said behold I will make all things new. And he said unto me, write for these words are true and faithful. In Isaiah 43, another great passage that helps us to understand the prophecy of God making all things new. Isaiah 43 verse 18, the Bible says, remember ye not the former things and either consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I'm glad God is a God of new things. He's making things new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and behold, all things are become new. Now we're going to Colossians and in reference to the resurrection. And we're thinking about the fact that God is through the resurrection making all things new. The book of Colossians has the theme of the preeminence of Christ. And in chapter 2 in particular, at the end of chapter 2, he starts to deal with what has become a ritualistic way of life for the believers at Colossae, where they were depending upon their own works and depending upon their own way for their own sanctification. If you look with me at the end of chapter 2, it says, which things will indeed show a wisdom show a, give a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh they had become ritualistic in their sanctification they they thought it was all of them and they were trying to kind of work their way to uh, um, to the uh, the greater love of God if you could say and and he starts in chapter 3 to discuss the proper type of sanctification that is founded in the resurrection power and God making all things new. Let's look at the text here. I don't have time to read the whole chapter, but we'll make reference to the chapter. We'll try to move quickly as we just try to think about the resurrection power and how it, through the resurrection power, the sanctification, yes, the salvation work is done. Praise the Lord for that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath what? raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So there's no question. You can't be saved without the resurrection. Okay. There's no question about that. And I'm assuming that you're saved, but if you're not, the resurrection is the power for salvation. But in this text, it's particularly dealing for those of us that are believers and how that the resurrection is not just for salvation, which we'll reference in first Corinthians 15 again, in a little bit, Paul does this over and over in reference to the to the resurrection power that is not just for salvation the resurrection power is for our sanctification and he is counteracting the ritualistic self-made 
uh, worship and the self-driven sanctification. And he says sanctification is driven through the power of the gospel. It's driven through the power of the resurrection. If ye then, verse 1, be risen with Christ. So if you're saved, if you believe in the resurrection, and if you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. We'll stop our reading there. All things new. Now, if you know me, you know that I like to shop. I'm one of those guys that um, my wife loves the fact that I like to shop. Matter of fact, just um, just recently we were in a TJ Maxx and and for once I was actually sitting and waiting for my wife. Normally she was she would uh, be sitting and waiting for me, continuing to look through all the clearance. I love the clearance aisle. I don't ever buy anything that's not on clearance. That's the honest, honest truth. But I particularly really like, and, and my kids will tell you, I really like thrift shopping. I love to go to Goodwill. And I am the Goodwill shopper that is flipping through everything because sometimes it's things that are really good get tucked behind. And um, the ones, the, the discounted stuff, you know, sometimes because of the way they hang things. And so I'm like literally moving everything on the rack and looking very quickly through absolutely everything in the thrift stores. Anybody else like this? Okay, okay, some of you. I'm looking for the hidden gems, you know? I was with a friend, uh, Pastor uh, Brad Higgins, and I didn't realize this about him, but he was telling me about his eBay business where he goes to um, antique malls and he goes to thrift stores and he goes to Goodwills and he goes basically uh, to estate sales. And he's looking more for those items that would be able to quickly resale, and, uh, resell, resell and, and where he can take something that is like, um, a product that is going to be like worth something and kind of like that show on, uh, I can't remember what channel it is where they, where they uh, dig through junk and then they end up making a lot of money with it. That's what he's doing. I, I I'm not quite like that. I don't have an eBay business or anything like that. I'm more just looking for my, my own personal enjoyment or for my kids or for, uh, for myself. I'm trying to find the, you know, a spectacular deal on a shirt or a spectacular deal on some shoes or whatever. And I can literally go through my closet and I can, my wife laughs at me and I, I can tell you, I bought that at a Goodwill, bought that for $2 at a Goodwill, bought that, you know, I can, I can tell you how much I paid for everything. And so I, I'm kind of one of those guys that's, I like to go to the thrift store. Okay. So anyway, so this does relate. Okay. So when I go to the thrift store, when you really, really, you know, just hit a home run is when you find something new at the thrift store where it still has the original tag on it, where Target has dumped stuff or uh, some, other, some other store has dumped stuff or somebody bought a brand new shirt and then they just like didn't fit or something and so they just stuck it at Goodwill. How many of you have ever found something brand new at a Goodwill? Okay, you know what I'm talking about? And I did this on purpose this morning. This shirt right here. <laughs> this shirt. I love this shirt. This shirt is like that stretchy material. It's uh, uh, it's uh, 
you know, wicking, you know, sweat wicking and, and, uh, and it's very light. It can be worn in the winter. It can be worn in the summer. It's a particular brand that I constantly look for at Goodwill because I know I can never buy it when it's brand new at the, at the store. Uh, but it lasts. I literally, this long, I wasn't planning to have this long of an illustration, but I literally have Polo Ralph Lauren stuff that I bought at thrift stores that I bought in college that I'm still wearing. Now, not, not this shirt, but, um, but I, it, it's very good quality. It's classic. I'm, I'm very classic in the way that, that, that I dress, but yet it's still trendy in my opinion. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't know if it is, but you can be the judge of that. I don't want to be one of those guys that's uh, growing older in my age and in my wardrobe. You know what I mean? I want to try to stay <laughs> fresh, you know, in, in the sense of, of what, what I'm wearing. So I was in a thrift store. And I found this. It had the original tag still on it that was for like a uh, almost a hundred dollar shirt, which absolutely blows my mind that anybody would spend a hundred dollars on a shirt. Crazy. Um, but I was like, that's a cool shirt. It had a tag on it for nine ninety nine, which I thought was still kind of high at a thrift store, even if it did have a, uh, a new new thing. I might have bought it for nine ninety nine, but then it had one of those colored stickers on it, right? And, and so I walked over, I said, so what's the special today on the different colors? 75% off of $9.99. Now we're talking (laughs) to get something new in a place where most stuff is old is a really good thing. And I'm telling you, when we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all that he brings to us that is new in the midst of the old, it ought to thrill our lives. We ought to sing He lives in a different way. We ought to recognize the new thing that God is doing and every day rejoice. We sang yesterday, uh, praise the one who lives again. We ought to praise and give worship every day in our in every way because He is making in a world of old things, He's making things all new. That was a long illustration, but I wanted to share that with you about my shirt, right? Okay. So let's look at the new things that he's, that he's done in the midst of this wicked world. I want you to notice, first of all, we have a new domain, a new domain. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek the things which are above. Um, later, he, he, says, he says also, set your affections on things above, Now, this is a big, big concept that God has done through the resurrection, and that is He has taken us from living in the earthly realm to living in the spiritual realm. You remember in John chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, who was still living in the earthly realm, in the sense in the sense of his mind, he was still thinking, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to be a Pharisee that, that does every detail of the law. And Jesus said, whoa, 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 whoa. You need, you're still in the wrong domain. You need to live in the heavenly. Jesus said unto him, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe? But if I tell you of heavenly things and no man hath ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man, which is in heaven. So his discussion with Nicodemus was get out of the earthly and get into the heavenly realm. 
And the way that you get out of the earthly and get into the domain of the heavenly is do that new thing, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It's interesting in Matthew chapter 22, verse 44, and Luke 10, verse 42, and in Mark 12, verse 36, there's a quotation that helps us to see what he's talking about here when he says in verse, when Christ, uh, let's see, uh, you're, uh, the place where he says he's sitting at the right hand. I'm sorry. Let's, let's look at it. Set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. When Christ is our life shall appear, then shall ye appear with him in glory. Where is it? Oh, it's, it's verse one. I'm sorry. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. That's where I was going on this. So in Matthew 22, Luke 10 and Mark 12, but I'm going to just give you the one in, in, in Mark in Mark. It says, for David himself said by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. He's referencing the heavenly realm of Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of God. And he's saying that's the realm that you can go to when you're risen with Christ. You can go to the heavenly realm where Christ is seated at the right hand. Now, you're not physically and literally seated at the right hand. Um, the disciples argued about that. You remember, who's going to sit at the right hand of God? And he says, that's not my privilege to give. That's the Father's privilege to give, Jesus said. Well, the Father was privileged to give that to Jesus Christ. And by right of the resurrection, we are all privileged to live in that realm in that heavenly domain. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is He that hath part in the first resurrection. Have you had part in the first resurrection? As such, the second death hath no power over you, but they, they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign and shall reign with Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. It brings us to our second, the heavenly realm, the new domain that God has established for us is allows us to live heavenly on earth. Okay. We should be not earthly bound, but heavenly bound. But second of all, it takes us to another new thing that God has done. Which Revelation chapter 20, verse 6 just helped us understand. And what we see here, and I definitely think is in this text, is that we are to live in the above realm because that is our final destination. So number two, we have a new destination. And he uses the word above, where Christ sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Galatians chapter 4, verse 26, But Jerusalem, which is above, is free. Speaking of the new Jerusalem that God's prepared for us. Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make mine enemies thy footstool. There is a place prepared for us, a new destination. It's in the above realm. It's heaven. Set your affection on things above, he says, and not on the earth. And so, there is a new destination. How many of you are glad that heaven is your home? That's your final destination. And because of Christ, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we can have hope. We can have the resurrection. Revelation talks about the second death. And that whosoever is now found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And in Revelation chapter 20, we just, uh, verse 6, we don't have to fear the second death. We don't have to fear hell. We have a different destination, and that destination is heaven. And that is the domain, uh, the realm that we should be living in. It's the destination prepared for us. 
Number three, I want you to notice not only a new domain and a new destination, we should be living above the world, though Satan's darts at, at us are hurled. I love that song. For faith has caught the joyful sound, the saints on higher ground, living in a realm of heaven with our destination, looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, living above the world and risen in that domain. And the way that we do that is not, not just with a new destination and a new, new domain, but with a new direction. Maybe we could say a new decision. Maybe we could say a new desire. That's where he says, first of all, and it's interesting, he has two commands here directly in verses two, uh, in verses one and two. First, he says, seek those things which are above. Because of the heavenly domain, the new domain that we live in, we don't live in the earthly domain, we, we should be living in the eternal. We shouldn't live for the temporal, we should live for the heavenly. We should live in the heavenly domain. And because Christ has given us a new destination above, that's where we should keep our attention. That's where our direction should be set. That's where our decisions should be made in that realm. In particular, most Bible scholars believe that he's particularly talking in these two concepts here. One has to do with morality, which is seeking the things which are above. And setting your affection on things above, we'll get to that in just a second, has to do with your mindset and you personally. Now, here's the joy of the sanctification that we get through the resurrection. We have everything that we need for life and godliness. We have the power to awaken ourselves out of unrighteousness into righteousness. We have everything we need to succeed to do the right thing. So moral truth cannot come to those who don't have Christ. They don't have the risen Lord. So being in Christ allows you to set, uh, allows you to seek the things which are above. It gives you the potential. It allows the direction of your life to be set on the moral truths of the Word of God. The second concept is that of the new, uh, the new delight or the new mentality where in our human um, power, directed by the power of the re resurrection, we have the free will to make decisions and to make loves and, and, and delight. But let's focus for just a moment on, on this idea of a new direction, seeking the things which are above. Um, uh, for sake of time, I'll just turn over here to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. I was going to have you turn there. But right in the middle of the chapter, the resurrection chapter, which, by the way, if you haven't read through it, you ought to read through it. Um, my understanding is in Sunday school, some of you read, read through uh, 1 Corinthians 15. That's a good thing. There's a couple of things here in, in, in reference to the resurrection that definitely help us to understand this, this idea of sanctification that it is both um, powered by God, potential given to us, but yet human will has a major part of this. I would never say that, that, that sanctification is inevitable. Even though from the sovereign uh, God of heaven, he delivers unto us the power to overcome sin. Do you remember the second verse of complete in thee? Complete in thee, uh, no work of mine can take away. Uh, uh, anyway, I, the second verse no more shall sin. I always make that make that comment when I'm when I'm uh, leading that song. Is that we are complete in Him with the power to never sin again. That is clear in Scripture. That 
proper salvation brings to us the potential and the power for all moral truth and for direction for our life. That's the point that he's making in Colossians chapter 3, and the preeminence of Christ is very clear. But yet, humanly speaking, I, we can't, I don't feel like it's best to say that it's inevitable, because if it's inevitable, then your free will doesn't matter. That, in, in, our, in our human understanding, that's the, the natural progression we, we make. The power and the potential is there. It's another one of those mysteries in the, in the salvation and sanctification work of, of the gospel. Is that God has given us everything for life and godliness, but it is still possible to live ungodly as a child of God. Right? We all have to choose that direction. We have to set our affection. We'll get to that in a second. But that power is definitely available. And, and Paul references this in verse, uh, verse 31 when he says, I protest, I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Speaking of the resurrection, I die daily. There's action of his will to die to himself. Verse 34, awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Resurrection power awakens you to righteousness. Those that don't know Christ don't have that new direction of life. All right, for sake of time, we can't, we can't spend too much. That's a real blessing of the sanctification work of, of God. That through the re- risen Lord, if you're risen in Christ, you live in a new domain, you have a new destination, you have a new direction, you have moral qualities from the truth of God that begin to make sense because of the Spirit of God in you. But the next one is that new delight, set your affection on things above, again, in a new domain with the destination of heaven. God gives us moral truth. He awakens us to to righteousness. It is now our decision to delight in what we ought to delight in. It's a new delight. It has to do with our our inner man, our mindset, setting your affections. Romans 12 verse 3 uses this this term or this phrase, this idea of, of controlling your thoughts. For this I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but here it is, to think soberly, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of, of faith. We need to order our own loves. We need to set our affections, our priorities right, centered around and empowered by the resurrection power. This is what he references from, in my opinion, for the rest of the chapter, we'll, we'll see this. He, he, he makes the otis on you. You have to access this power. You have to make the decisions. You have to delight in the right things. Many of you probably know this, but Jonathan Edwards has written a work called Religious Affection Centered from this text. Jonathan Edwards was a great uh, writer, great theologian, great preacher. Um, and preached one of the most famous messages known to mankind, sinners in the hands of, the, of an angry God. It was said about Jonathan Edwards that he was a mono, monotone type speaker and that he would normally even read his messages. But they were so power packed, so thoughtful, so insightful that um, God really used him and, and moved through him as he preached in the spirit of God. It would be worth your time to do a little study yourself on, on this 
this work, the religious affections. I have a friend who has a, a ministry that has been based upon this, and in particular dealing with worship, and uh, worship in our personal life, worship corporately, and in, in music, and um, religious affections ministry, uh, religiousaffections.org. Highly recommend it. Uh, Scott Annual's writing, and uh, he, he does a lot of blog posts and stuff. Very, very good stuff. It's centered around this idea of setting your affections. Everything in life is ordered by your affection, what you love, what you delight in. And um, I don't have time to deal with this in a great in a great detail, but I think it's interesting. He said, Edward says that the, the human soul has two faculties, the understanding by which the soul perceives, speculates, discerns, views, judges things, and number two, the inclination of your will. So you can actually understand stuff and not incline your will to do it. Ordering your affections is inclining your will to do it, by which the soul is disciplined, pleased or displeased, approves or rejects. And he said, the more vigorous and sensible exercises of the inclination of your, of your will is ordering your soul and your, the affections of your soul. And he dis- distinguishes between, I think it's very interesting, we're not talking about just emotions here. Emotions are real, aren't they? We all have feelings. We all have emotions. We're talking about affections, and affections are different than emotions. Affections are long-lasting. Emotions are fleeting. Affections are deep. Emotions often are superficial. They're real, but they're oftentimes superficial. We can actually create our own emotions, right? But affections are deep. Affections are consistent with our beliefs. Emotions sometimes overpower us and actually cause us to lack in our belief. Affections always result in action, and emotions often fail to produce action. Affections involve our mind, our will, and our feelings, and emotions are mostly feelings and oftentimes are disconnected from our, our mind and our will, right? Now, we ought to order our emotions, but we're talking about something deeper, more vigorous, more inspiring. It is ordering our loves. He gives 12 signs of whether we're, we're ordering our affections. And I, I won't go through all of these, but let me just give you a couple of them. True religious affections arise from those influences and operations on the heart, which are spiritual, supernatural, and divine. Number two, true religious affections are objectively grounded in the transcendently excellent and amiable nature of divine things as they are in themselves. Now, what I found interesting as I was reading through some of these is that it correlates with what we've already talked about. When you, when you know the domain that you're living in, the heavenly, the eternal, not the earthly and the temporal, when you understand the truths about that place and what's prepared for you and the truths about how the earth is going to be destroyed and all that's in the world is going to be judged. And you start to understand that through the resurrection power, you have ability to discern moral truth by seeking the things which are above and, and that God brings to light and awakens you to righteousness, then your soul more vigorously sets its love in that direction because you begin to understand and value it differently than if you just live worldly. It, to me, this is, this is powerful truth of the resurrection. Is it, it enables us to live with proper, author, uh, proper priorities, proper loves, 
on things that are way bigger and better than that which is earthly. Things that are above. Set your affections on things that are above, not on things of the earth. What do you think some of the things of the earth are? The pleasures? The wealth? The, uh, the power? Making, you know, the, the pleasing of men? The, ple- uh, the, the fleshly desires, and he gets into some of this in just, in just a little bit. But here's the point I'm trying to make. Through the resurrection power, God makes all things new. He gives us a new domain, a new destination, a new uh, direction of life, a moral direction of life. He changes our mentality, and, and he orders our affections. He helps us set our affections. It's our responsibility to order our affections. Make sure our priorities are right, that we are, we are properly living in line with the heavenly, not the earthly. I got to hurry. <laughs> I, got, I got three more points. Hang with me, okay? Very, very important to see the next one, and that is, it's kind of an interesting way of saying it. We have a new death. We have a new death. I really, really like how he transfers all of this information that we've already seen about the new domain, the new, the, the, the new destination, the new direction, and the new delight that we should be having should cause us in verse 5, to mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. Can I just say, because i got to move quickly, that we have a new death the death before Christ, before he was risen and we received him by faith, the death is eternal punishment and eternal judgment in an awful place called hell. We will go our own way and we will all be turned away if we go our own way. But because of the righteousness of Christ and the risen Lord, we don't have that death. We have a new type of death. We have a death to the destructiveness of our selfishness. We have a death. We have the power of death over sin. We can die to Satan's temptations. And it is our responsibility to access the power of that and to, it is a command, mortify, therefore, your members. Particularly talking about our body and the facilities and the abilities that God gives us, the talents that we use and the the mindset that we have, the tongue that we have, the hands that we have, and, and, and mortifying the members is dealing with our body. Sacrifice your body unto the Lord. And we have the potential to do that because it's, it's a new type of death. We don't have the other death. We don't have uh, death and hell. We don't have death and destruction because of sin. We have the risen Christ, so we have a new death. We could spend a lot of time talking about, uh, about that, but let's go, go on. Because not only do we have a new, deci- a, a, new, a new domain, a new destination, a new decision, direction, a new delight, a new death, we also ought to have a new dedication. Saying no to the works of the flesh. So dying to self, disciplining and discerning ourselves, and determining that we're going to live the way God wants us to live. We have that potential in the sanctification and all because of the risen Lord. Laundry list of sin that he says, dedicate yourself to stay away from that. Dedicate yourself to living this way, starting in verse 12. But, I'm sorry, put ye on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy, beloved, bowels of mercy. Say no to sin, say no to wickedness, say no to corruptness, filthy communication. Don't be angry, don't lie, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Um, He says all of that. Whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Greek, doesn't matter who you are. If you're saved, you're Christ, Christ is all in all. 
put this on. Forbear one another. So he talks about kindness. He talks about generosity. He talks about meekness. He talks about patience. He talks about forgiving one another. We never have any excuse to be ugly and mean and unkind and unforgiving. That is not living in the resurrection power. There's a new dedication that comes to say no to sin and to live properly in the character of Christ himself living through you. This is what Galatians 2.20 is all about. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is Christ's love, forbearance, forgiveness being lived out through you. How well are you doing at that? And above all these things, verse 14, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's just a really, really rich text. And he even gets into specifics about husbands and wives and children and fathers and, and servants and how they're supposed to act in accordance with this new dedication that we should have because of the new domain we're living in above the world. With a new, uh, a new destination and, and, a, and a new direction of life that's moral, that's right. And we're seeking to live with our desires going in the right and our delight in the right thing. Man, we're going to dedicate ourselves to actually make choices to say no to sin and to live in a way that demonstrates the character of Christ. And that brings me to our final point, and that is a new demonstration. Now, this is very, very important and crucial as we conclude. And that is that because of the risen Christ, we have now the potential to live out and participate in the actual glory of God. The demonstration is of, of this moral truth that's lived out in our affections ordered with a dedication to serve Christ and to say no to sin and to live in such a way that he, he gives here. It's all done to demonstrate that Christ is the one doing it. It's to demonstrate Praise back to him. And this is all through the the New Testament. The glory of God is the theme. It's the goal. It's the purpose of our existence. Now, if you go all the way back to um, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, that's why they were created. They were created in the image of God to give him glory. And when they failed and they faltered, all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. So the salvation work of the risen Christ and brings us to the sanctification work of the risen Christ for the purpose of fulfilling that ultimate end of the demonstration of the glory of God. So that as the vessel that's created by God, we are actually fulfilling the purpose that he designed us for. He is the potter. We are the clay. And this is very clear also in this text. In verse 17, look at there. Look there. It says, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. We ought to be living our gratitude to God. We ought to be living for the glory of the Lord. Look at verses 23 and 24. And we hear these verses a lot in reference to uh, just seeking to do everything we can to the best of our ability for the glory of God, living excellent lives, trying to do the best you can in your academics, best you can in your athletics, best you can in your jobs, and best you can in your relationships, right? And that's true. But there's there's a point to it. Whatever you, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. We do not live this sanctification life so that everybody applauds us. If you're looking for that, that's earthly. 
What's heavenly is we do this so that God applauds us, so it's well-pleasing to Him, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. And I like the way he concludes this, but he that doeth wrong shall receive the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. In other words, you have the potential as a child of God to live for the glory of the Lord, to receive the reward and the inheritance, looking for that prize and the, uh, of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul referenced that. He references it in 1 Corinthians 15. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, that God is glorified, that you are doing the work of the Lord. And that is ultimately the end and, and the potential that the resurrection gives to us. But he says, if you don't live in that, you don't choose to order your affections. You don't choose to, to live in light of the new destination and the new domain. And you don't choose to take the understanding of the moral truth that God is giving to your heart and drawing you to it by his spirit. And you don't access that and you don't live kindly and you, but you live with anger, wrath, malice. Verse eight says, and you, you as a child of God live that way. I don't know exactly how that's going to be carried out as far as the judgment, but he says, he that doeth wrong shall receive the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. So there is a sense in which God will even judge the Christian when they don't live in light of the new things that God is doing. But here's, here's the positive point of this. We have the potential to demonstrate the glory of God. A new demonstrations. Participants, hid, our life is hid in Christ. So one has said, the hidden life in Christ will be finally made manifest. And what you thought, you were living in secret and you were nobody was applauding you, one day you will be applauded. And that's why God says more of us required in a steward than a man be found faithful. Our responsibility is not for the praise and applause and the glory of men. Our responsibility is for the praise of uh, the audience of one. And you, you may not experience that God's applauding you every day, but that's kind of what he's doing in your soul, in your heart, when you are living in light of the resurrection. God is allowing you to participate in the demonstration of His glory, which is fulfilling the purpose for your existence. And whatsoever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And we have the potential to live out the purpose of Christ because we are risen with Him. This is the sanctification work. The new thing that God is doing amongst the old. It's kind of like you standing out in a thrift store. No. <laughs> in, in the midst of all the old, as a child of God, you should have the new tag on you. The tag of the new domain. New destination. New delights, direction, a new demonstration, a new dedication to live in the way that you should live. Now, every day we live, this is the sanctification work that should be coming out of our life. And it's your choice to access your, your will, deepen your soul, to make this a priority for your life. Let God do this new thing. Lord, would you bless us and work in us through the power of your resurrection. We're so thankful 
that greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. And through the gospel, our life is hidden with Christ in God. We should live for that which is eternal, completely and wholly, living in a whole new realm, above the world, though Satan's darts at us are hurled. Knowing the moral truth, accessing it with our affections and our will, with obedience and dedication so that we can properly demonstrate and live in the glory of God, pressing toward that mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we do, we do. I believe these young people, and I know in my heart, this is, this is our desire, but we know our own frailty. We know our own weakness. Help us to see that today. Help us to confess sin. Help us to order our loves. Help us to want more of your moral truth. Help us to stop looking for the things of this life to please us but to seek the things which are above, which are the only things that please us and please you, and help us to live for the glory of the Lord. Thank you for all this truth that comes as a direct result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today, and hopefully that could be a good challenge to all of us to live this out every single day. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. It is our prayer that you would know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you have never experienced salvation through Christ alone, would you please reach out to us? You can contact us through our website at www.southlandcamp.org or call our camp office at 318-894-9154. See you next time on the Southland Podcast.